Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. Well, we're going to come back to that. Um, Standing together, we are the children of God, because that's one of the themes in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So, as usual, thank you, Aaron, for working so hard to tie in our time of worship with uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at. Uh, We're blessed. Uh, I read an article this week (laughs) about, we're funny, aren't we? I mean, this article was about the percentage of people that, that wish they lived in another state. And it ranges from 33% to 50%. So there are states where 50% of the people that live there wish they lived in another state. And, and then there are states where it's, you know, the range is 33 to 50% that, that people wish they, they lived in another state. And I find that really interesting, you know, because I'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, I want to get out of Arizona. And why? And well, it's too hot. Were you outside yesterday? Because this is spectacular. Do you know, I have kids in Chicago. Do you know what their life is like right now? The 11-year-old is shoveling snow from his driveway. That's his job, you know. And, and, uh, but we, uh, we have this sense of, um, that we, w- we wish we were someplace else and that we're not content uh, where we are. And, and it's sort of, um, it, it's, it's kind of a, um, a national problem. It's kind of a national issue that there's a, there's a general lack of contentment that no matter where we are, no matter how good it is, we wish we were someplace else. We wish we were doing something else. We wish our life was like someone else's or, or different and, and we live in this, uh, this sort of state of discontent and, and the Apostle Paul is, is addressing it in a really fascinating way. If you were to read the second chapter of Philippians all the way through from the start to finish, you'd see this progression that Paul makes, that in the very beginning of chapter two, he, he talks about who we are, uh, and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but, but consider others as more important than yourself, and, and he tells us how that we should live, and, and we sort of take a, you know, we kind of gulp, and okay, I got that, and, and then he says in verse five, that have this attitude, which was also is also yours in Christ Jesus, and so he says, now I want you to, I've told you what you wanna do, now I'm gonna tell you what it looks like, I want you to look at the example of none other than Jesus, and, and the, to get your example of how to live from him, and then it goes on to say that, that who the, it was the very form, the very nature, the very essence of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a human, taking the form of a man, and being found in the likeness of man, he became a servant and he humbled himself, became obedient to a point of death and death on the cross. And then Paul gives us that big therefore, God has exalted the name of Jesus above all names. And we get this great climax to that passage. And then we come to verse 12 and we get another therefore. 
Now, you could translate it so then or because of or whatever, but it always, when, when you see a therefore or a, a so then or something like that or a so, um, uh, so in the, in the beginning of a passage or beginning of a verse like that, it says, because of what's just happened, because of what you've just read, now I want you to do this. Now I want you to consider this. And so we get to verse 12 and in the second chapter of Philippians and we get another therefore. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only uh, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work to his good, for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing uh, in that you... Uh, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even as I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So we get this passage, 12 through 18, that Paul has some, some really critical things for us to understand. And you know, I, I think it's so important for us to, to kind of have this picture in our minds that Paul, Paul gives us these general attitudes, you know, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He says, do nothing from, don't have the grumbling or complaining, the disputing, it could be arguing, complaining. Uh, there's lots of ways to translate that. But, uh, but don't be quarrelsome. Uh, don't be super critical, hypercritical of people. Um, Paul's telling us this. He's giving us, this is our attitude. And, and then you go live it out. So he doesn't give us this list of things that you're supposed to check off in your life. And I'm gonna check down this list and this is what it looks like to be a good Christian. But he says, when we talk about transformation, we're talking about what it means to look like Jesus, to live like Christ. Not to just check off a list but to live the way Jesus lived, to, to glorify him. Uh, he'll say to be lights in a dark world. There's three, there's three things that I want right off the top. I mentioned the therefore already. The second thing that I think is really important in that very first, in verse 12, he, said, he calls them my beloved. He says, therefore my beloved. Paul is going back and reminding the Philippians how much he loves them, how important they are. If you go to Acts 16, you can read the story about Paul's time in, in Philippi, uh, and he meets Lydia at the, at the water. Um, that bunch of women are there for a prayer time, for a discussion. He tells them about Jesus. They, they decide, they choose to follow Christ. He baptizes them right there. He stays in Philippi. He founds the church. And, and then later on, uh, he's thrown in jail. Uh, he's beaten. He's chained. He's locked in jail. God miraculously frees him from jail. And, and there's this wonderful story about the Philippian jailer and, and how he comes to believe in Jesus. And, and so you get this great story about how the church is birthed in the city of Philippi, this Greek city. Uh, Philippi uh, is, is known for the, that Philip, uh, uh, one of the Caesars had rebuilt, had it rebuilt uh, one of the leaders there, and he had had it rebuilt, he'd named it after himself. There's a couple of cities, you know, there's Philippi, there's Caesarea Philippi, there's, there's cities that he added his name to, and in this particular city of Philippi is a Greek city, 
city. It's, uh, it's a very wealthy city. Uh, but in this city, most of the population really worshiped Caesar, that Caesar proclaimed himself as Lord, and they, there was a temple to him that they would worship Caesar, and so if you come in and you're saying Jesus is Lord, then you're in direct conflict uh, to not only the state religion, uh, you're in conflict with the government, your conflict with law, all of those things, and so the Philippians uh, were undergoing pressure and persecution because they were preaching Jesus as Lord. And so that's part of the context that's going on that Paul's talking about. So he says, therefore, my beloved, uh, as you have always obeyed now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That, that the third thing that he says is, is that you've obeyed. Now he puts this really interesting caveat that I think is important for us. He, he says that, that you were obedient when I was with you, and I want you to have that same obedience when I'm not with you. We, we talk about character and we talk about integrity sometimes, and, and how do we define it? We, we define it as who you are when no one's looking. Um, if you're in a family with children, uh, you want obedience to be that you still obey even when mom and dad aren't there, right? that that's what you want it to look like. That's, that's when we know that you've got it. That's when we know that it's part of your character and, and not just doing it out of fear or not doing it out of obligation or, or not just trying to impress somebody. And, and Paul is saying, yeah, I get it that you were obedient when I was there and I want you to be obedient when I'm not there in my absence as well because that's when we really know that it's, who you, it's becoming who you are. And, and not just to make me feel good or not just to please me, but it's who you're becoming in Christ that you're obeying, not out, out of obligation, not out of just keeping the rules, but because Jesus is Lord of your life. And so obedience is a really important theme uh, in this passage. And then he goes on to say that work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and, and that's been a troublesome phrase for people over the centuries because they would say, well, no, we're saved by grace, not by works, but, but here's what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand this morning is that we need to take our faith really seriously. We need to take it seriously, not take it lightly, not say, Jesus, thank you for your grace, thank you for dying on a cross, now I'm gonna do whatever I want, whatever makes me feel good, but you are my Lord, you're not only my savior, but you're my king and you're my Lord and I wanna live my life underneath your authority. I wanna live my life to please you. And so I'm gonna work hard at pleasing you. It's not, about the, it's not my salvation that I'm worried about, but what I am focusing on in my life is, is, is my life pleasing to you. Does my life honor you? And, and it, it's so important, it's so powerful because I may forget some of the rules and I may forget some of the laws, but if I can go into my day saying, Lord, I wanna live today to please you. I wanna live today to honor you. I'm gonna work at honoring you with my life. Uh, then then I, I'm beginning to understand that my character is beginning to transform into, into what Jesus wants it to look like. So he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That he, here's again what Paul wants us to understand. And, and you know, one of the things that you're, you're gonna love about Philippians is that he doesn't waste any words. 
If every phrase, every word, every, every verse that Paul gives us has some kind of meaning for us, some kind of application, and here Paul wants us to understand that I'm not transforming, I'm not changing out of my strength and my will, but it's God who is at work in me, and the transformation that is happening in my life is because Christ is in me. He's my hope, as we sang, my hope of glory. And when Christ lives in you, he begins that transformation from the inside out. Now, I can sort of spit and polish the outside a little bit, right? I have, you know, kind of January and February to wear sport coats to church. It's, why are you wearing a sport coat? Because it's February, of course. Well, I I can dress up, I can act a certain way, I can talk a certain way, I can kind of work on the outside, but that doesn't, isn't where real transformation happens. What Jesus is looking for in my life is am I, am I being transformed from the inside out? Am I allowing him to do his work in my life so that the, the, so that the picture of Christ and the fragrance of Christ flows from within me out into the world? Paul talks about it this way. Uh, he, he says that we'll become lights in the world. Now, <laughs> excuse me, verse 14, he says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, man. It was, I was doing okay, right? Right up until that point. Do everything without grumbling or disputing. And this word disputing, as I mentioned earlier, you could translate it complaining. Uh, you could translate it arguing, uh, whatever it is. But here's, here's one of the things that, that I, I realize is that we're really good at this. We're really good at the grumbling part. We're really good at the complaining part. Um, we're, we're really good at not being content in where we are. And so whose fault is that? When I'm not content, you know, in August, I can blame the heat, okay? I get that. Uh, I, you know, I, I can blame the economy. I can blame the government. I, I, you know, I can find people to blame. I can find things to blame. And Paul says that that's not how I want you to live your life. That's not what the life in Christ looks like. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's chained to one of the royal guards 24 hours a day. If anybody has the right to complain, it's Paul, right? If anybody has the right to grumble about this, it's Paul. And what does Paul say in chapter one, verse eight? He says, isn't this awesome? That I'm chained to a Praetorian guard, I'm chained to a royal guard, and they're on six-hour shifts. I have six hours to tell them about Jesus. I have six hours, and they can't get away from me. And Paul rejoices in being chained to a Roman soldier because it fits the higher purpose, which is the kingdom of God, the mission that God has given him. And he said, I want you to live your life without grumbling and arguing and disputing because what matters in your life is much greater than your circumstances, is much greater than, than some slight that you may have felt like you received. But what's, what's more important in your life is that you're on a mission. You're on a mission for God to attract people, to draw people to Christ to allow people to see Jesus in your life. There's something greater happening. And he says, don't cheapen it by just grumbling and complaining. Don't, don't live your life that way. And, and you know, and, and, and it's tough to do, I get it. But here's the other thing about grumbling and complaining, disputing, whatever, um, is that rarely is it a direct grumbling. 
it's generally a sideways conversation, right? We're generally finding somebody that will listen to us and we're gonna complain about somebody else or some circumstance over here and as long as we find somebody that will listen, then we can, we can grumble. Sometimes that's translated murmur. I love murmuring. Murmuring is one of my favorite words in the Bible because murmuring is when you talk just loud enough for everybody to hear you, but it sounds like you're whispering. Isn't that true? Yeah, I hate that when he does that. Okay, so <laughs> just don't be mic'd, it's so awkward. But we, we grumble uh, and we complain because we're not content and Paul is saying that our contentment is found not in our circumstances, but our contentment is found in Jesus. And when we live our lives in Christ and he is transforming us, then the, our contentment comes from him and we don't grumble or complain. But sometimes we have to be reminded, don't we? Because we've turned grumbling and complaining and arguing into an art form. So it just makes us feel better. You, you know, one of the reasons that we grumble and complain is because we feel helpless. That we feel like we've been wronged and there's nothing we can do, so we want to gripe about it. We want to grumble about it. So we have this picture of Jesus in, in verses six through 11 that says, though he was the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He became a slave for us. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and he didn't complain, he didn't grumble, he didn't gripe. Paul is saying, that's your example. Jesus is your example. Follow him. Allow his example to be the one that you model your life after, you pattern your life after. Not, not anybody else. And grumbling and complaining doesn't get us anywhere. So he, he challenges with this. <laughs> and then he goes on to say this, do nothing without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, remember the song we just sang, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and, and twisted generation holding fast to the word of life. Now, here, here's what Paul says. He, he just says, first I reminded you, my beloved, how important you are to me, how much I love you. You're the ones that I love. And now he says, and I want you to be reminded always of who you are. Because what really matters when we want to complain, when we want to gripe, um, he, he says it's because we've forgotten who we are. It's forgotten, we've forgotten where our life is rooted. We've forgotten what our foundation is, and here it is is that you're children of God. The, 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 in the Gospel of John, he said that who all, whoever believed in him, whoever called upon his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means that we have been brought into the family of God and we are children of God. And, and so Paul is saying that instead of grumbling and complaining, remind yourself of who you are. You're a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you have all the rights and all the benefits. You have the inheritance of being a child of God that all of that is yours. All of that is coming to you. He says, in the day of Christ, you will see that. You'll experience that when Christ returns. When you go to spend eternity with him, you will have everything that you can imagine. There'll be no tears, no sorrow, no pain. All of those things will be gone because you're a child of the king. You're a child of God. And so he says, so live like it. Live that way. Live like you're a child of the king. Live like you're a child of the creator of the universe. 
the God who created all things, who breathed life into this world. Live that way. Because that's who you are. The world will tell you, uh, the culture will tell you all kinds of other things about who you are. Paul says, remember this, that you are a child of God. And then he says, because you're a child of God, I want you to shine, like I want you to shine your light in a dark and twisted world. Shining like lights in a dark and twisted world. Jesus put it in, the Sermon on the Mount, that, that we're a city, that we're the light of the world and we're a city set on a hill, that people are drawn to Jesus by our lives, by the light that shines. It's a light that shines in us. It's a light that shines through us because Jesus lives in us. Now, we have a favorite thing to talk about around here and that we talk about the fact that we're resurrection people, that we believe in the resurrection. Do you believe in the resurrection? That's That's a trick question, right? Of course you do. You're in church. You believe in the resurrection. Here's the problem is that we don't live like we believe in the resurrection. We live like that the world is is horrible and and, and the world is desperate and all is lost and and our life is never gonna be what we thought it was gonna be and what we want it to be. And, And Jesus says, that's not true. Your life is in me. You're a child of God and you are a light that people who are living in darkness can see that light and they're drawn not to me, not to you, but to Jesus because our light shines. And, and the contrast is pretty powerful, isn't it? The contrast is pretty amazing because Jesus, Jesus says, you know, that you, and, and the Apostle Paul is reminding us that the light of somebody who's always grumbling and arguing is not very bright. It's not very helpful, is it? It doesn't really draw people to Jesus. It tries to draw people to my side. It tries to draw people to my perspective, not to Jesus. And Paul says, you're the light. Your light's in a dark world. I call this the grandkid cough. Um, And your light is the light of the world. It shines so people in a dark and twisted world can see Jesus. We live that way. What a, what a great goal for my life that, that I give up arguing and I give up quarreling and I give up complaining and, and I give up grumbling for the sake of the kingdom. That Lord, it's not about me. It's not about getting people to my side. It's getting people to your side. It's allowing people to see your light through my life. And, and Paul is talking collectively to the church in Philippi and I believe he's talking collectively to us. So here's the deal. You cannot say, well, if all the rest of those guys don't grumble and complain, it's okay if I do. Nobody's off the hook on this thing. Because if if one of us is grumbling, then we're dimming the light of all of us in our family here. That he's called all of us to live this life. And again, I want the focus, I think it's more healthy if our focus isn't so much as on, on grumbling and arguing and complaining, if our focus is really on being the light of Jesus in a dark world. What does it mean to be a child of God? And what does it mean to be a light in the darkness? And if I really focus my life on that, if I really give myself to that, I don't wanna grumble and complain. That doesn't honor Jesus and my life is focused on the fact that I'm his child. And he's called me to be a light in a dark world. And so why would I grumble and complain? What, what, what do I possibly gain that I don't have already in Jesus? 
I have eternal life in Christ. You know, the Israelites turned grumbling and complaining into an art form. In, in, if you read in Exodus and the, 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 the story of the, the Israelites in the wilderness in chapter 15, they grumbled and, and they complained uh, because they didn't have water. And so God miraculously provided water. But I think there was something else that went along with it because you know, they're in the wilderness for 40 years and, and it wasn't that big of a wilderness really. They could have gotten to the promised land pretty fast. But I think they, they grumbled and they complained and they said we want water so God had Moses strike the rock and water came from a rock. That's fairly miraculous, right? And then he tells the Israelites, okay, take a lap. I want you to, around the wilderness, four times, okay? Give me four laps because I don't want grumbling and complaining. And then in chapter 16, they were complaining about not having food and they actually said it would be better for us if we were still slaves in Egypt. If we were still under the slavery of the Egyptians, it would be better for us because then we, at least we had decent food and, and what happens, they, they get manna and they get birds and they, and they, have, you know, they have food every day and what happens later on? They complain it's not enough variety in their diet, right? What are you, a vegan? What do you want? Right? But they complain again. They grumble and complain again because their focus was on them. And I think God just said, okay, take another couple of laps around the wilderness, all right? You guys haven't figured this out yet. You haven't gotten it yet. And, and they continue to complain and they continue to grumble. And, and as Paul's talking about don't grumble and complain, I think he's, he's looking back at the children of Israel uh, in the wilderness. And he's saying, don't, that's not the model. But the, the model for us is Jesus well, he goes on from there, gives us some really positive things. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. In verse 16, he says this, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast. So we shine as lights in the world, and then we hold fast. Uh, we, we hold fast to the word of life. I, I love this phrase because this picture of holding fast it is like grabbing a hold of something and super gluing your fingers to it. There's just no way you're letting go of it. You have it. Uh, you are holding on to it. You are not gonna let go. Your fingers are glued to your hope that comes through the scripture. Your, your hands are glued, your life is glued to the truth of the word of God, his word that we hold fast to the truth. We don't let it go when it's, when it's not culturally acceptable. We don't let it go when we read something we don't like. We don't let it go when, when we think we've read it all but our life isn't what we want. We don't let it go at any point in our life. We hold fast to the word of life because that's what God has given us. That's what he's promised us. And we hold on to it and we refuse to let go. You, you know, some people stop reading the Bible because it just doesn't work for them. I read it, get nothing, doesn't help me, doesn't do anything. Then, you know, uh, let, me, let me help you pick out a better Bible or something. I don't know what, or a real Bible maybe or something. Uh, because, or how about this? That if you've, if you've kind of given up on reading the Bible and, and, and it just doesn't speak to you, then ju just read the book of Philippians for a month, read it every day for a month, it's just four chapters. And, and, and just simply ask, Lord, speak to me through this book. Speak to me, Lord, and, and you're gonna get to chapter two and it's gonna talk about grumbling and complaining and you're gonna say, okay, Lord, let's take that knife out of my heart right now. 
But the Lord will speak to you through his word because it's his word to us. And he said, I want you to hold fast to it. Don't give up on it. Pretty, pretty powerful. And if you're reading through the Bible this year, I think every day I'm surprised as I'm doing my Bible reading plan this year that, that the Lord, you know, it's someplace that I don't expect it. Because honestly, there are points where I'm kind of thinking about um, how fast I can get to the New Testament part and something hits me in the Old Testament. And, and, and you know, and I haven't gotten to Psalms yet, and Psalms is sort of my go-to place in the Old Testament, and yet God is speaking to me. We just finished reading about Joseph and there's so many great parts of that in this Bible plan that just allow the Lord to speak to you through his word and hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, Paul says, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul talks about this again in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verses 24 and about to 27, that he talks about running the race. And he says, I discipline my body I buffet my body, it says in one translation, so that after enlisting others in the race, I myself might not be disqualified. He says, I don't just box, I don't just shadow box, but I'm intent, I'm specific, I, I follow Christ, I hold fast to the word of God, I discipline myself so that I might accomplish everything that God has, that I might be the light shining in a dark world that he wants me to be, and I take my walk with Christ really seriously. Pick up 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27 sometime and see what it says to you about discipline, about taking our, our faith in Christ really seriously. He says, so that I may be proud that I didn't run in vain uh, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Here's what Paul is saying. I'm in prison. He talks about this a lot in Philippians. He reminds them that he's in prison for the gospel. He's in prison for his faith, and he's reminding them. And he uses this language that's reminiscent of Jesus when Jesus emptied himself or poured himself out. And Paul says that my, my life is being poured out. Pa Paul's living in this with this sentence over his head that he could be executed any day. He doesn't know for sure. He hopes that he's gonna get back to Philippi and visit them, but he doesn't know if he's gonna live or die from one day to the next. If the sentence is gonna be executed in his life, that would end his life that would sacrifice his life. He says, my life is being poured out for your sake and for the sake of the gospel. He says, live, and I rejoice in that. Uh, because Paul said, what, in first chapter, in the 21st verse, he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, what's the worst they can do to me, right? Be because if I live, I'm, I, I live for Jesus, and I live for the mission, and I live for the gospel, and I want my light to shine in the world, and, and I want to I want people to come to know Jesus as their Savior, and I get to do that. I have the great privilege of proclaiming Christ to the world, but he says, if I die, I get to be with Jesus. He says, I win either way. And he says, my life is being poured out, but because I have hope, because my faith is in the resurrection, he says, I can rejoice either way as my life is being poured out for him, as I'm allowing myself to be emptied for his sake and for his kingdom, not to be grasped, not to hold on to the wrong things, but to be emptied for the sake of the gospel. That's how I want to live my life. And he says that I also am glad and I rejoice with all of you in that, that that's 
what our life is built around. That's what our life means. And then he says in verse 18, he says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Wow. He, he's, he's really challenging him in two ways. The, the first way he's saying that, that I'm good with my life being poured out as an offering to the Lord. In fact, I rejoice in that because I know what that means. I, I know uh, that where my life is. I know that I'm a child of God. I know I belong to him. I know where my future lies. All of that, I get all of that. And I can rejoice. And he said, I want you to rejoice with me in that. Not just rejoice because we know where Paul is, but he says, I want you to rejoice because you know who you are. You're a child of God and you are a light in a dark and twisted world and that's your life as well as Christ transforms you and we can rejoice in that and he's saying it doesn't matter if you're being persecuted. It doesn't matter if you've been thrown in prison. Those things don't define you. Those things don't tell you who you are but who you are is a child of God and you are a light in a dark world and I want you to live on that. I want you to cling to that I want that to be the basis of your rejoicing that we are resurrection people and we know that Christ always keeps his promises. We know that it's always true and we can live our lives that way, that way, rejoicing that way. So here's the thing. Uh, recently we prayed for A.T. Holder and A.T. and his wife Crystal are getting ready. A.T.'s there right now, he's in Cambodia. He's gone to work for a mission agency that, uh, that rescues children from sex trafficking. That children are sold or they're kidnapped and they're taken in Cambodia into this sex trafficking and this organization rescues those children. They have a home for them. They're building a home with 1,500 beds. There's such a huge need there. And, uh, and A.T. said that they, when they went to Ecuador and they, they built a house for girls in Ecuador that had been in the same situation, he says, God just, God just grabbed their heart and didn't let go of it. And they said, whatever we do for the rest of our lives, we have to, we have to be an advocate in the name of Jesus for those children. So they're moving to Cambodia. And um, A.T., I got an email from him this morning and he said uh, that he had the privilege of worshiping on Sunday morning there. I think they're about eight hours ahead of us. He said they, uh, they had a privilege of worshiping in a building that had once been used to hold children who had been bought or kidnapped for sex trafficking. And now that building is a church. So if you, if you don't feel like rejoicing this morning, if you don't feel like uh, you've got anything to rejoice over, rejoice over that. Rejoice over the fact there were a bunch of people this morning worshiping the God of the universe, the creator, the Christ, in a building that had once been used for horrible, horrible things. And now it belongs to him. Now those girls have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. They have an opportunity to have a life. Rejoice over that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge, Lord. And, and I just simply ask that if we're a grumbler, Lord, you would forgive us. Because that's just wrong. If we're an arguer or a complainer, Lord, would you please forgive us? And, and Lord, give us a, a, a different perspective. Remind us that we are children of the King. We are children of God.
that we belong to you and that you live in us, your spirit dwells in us, is transforming us so that we might be a light in a dark and twisted world. Lord, I pray that for us this morning. Our attitude and our perspective would be changed and we would be reminded who we really are. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.